Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, and I'm Karina D'Souza. Hi, Karina. Welcome. Um, I love doing these things. I get to talk to people day after day after day. Um, an embarrassment of riches, as I love to say. We have a little pre-chat, and we were talking about the podcasting journey is like a really obvious, I get a podcaster or somebody who's been a podcaster or somebody who's taken a podcasting course. That's the obvious place to start. And But I think you have more than just the journey to talk about. I think your, I'm going to say your story about like you started podcasting and then in my opinion, you realized there was actually a book that you needed to write, really not just a podcast. So unless I'm stuffing words in your mouth, can you tell me about how the how what you thought was going to be a podcasting journey turned into a book journey? Um, I think it's best described as being an akimbo junkie to start off with. <laughs> so my invitation, um, I guess what best describes me is someone who is always looking to learn. And with that in mind, I'd come into the akimbo community, um, done uh, the marketing seminar, bumped into people like Maria, Maria Zendu. And one day in our LinkedIn conversations, she mentioned that there was this podcasting class coming up and would I like to try it out? Um, so I actually joined the podcasting group just to figure out how this audio thing works. Um, and almost as anyone who's listening, who's been through the podcasting fellowship or the podcasting uh, classes now knows that almost in the first three days, they ask you, well, what are you going to have the podcast about? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm invisible here. I'm just like behind the scenes. I don't want anything else. But, you know, as in all things, I thought, ha, huh, what the heck? And um, I, uh, in my other life or in my other, <laughs> my real life, I'm a futurist. I talk about the future of work. And I predominantly want to talk to directly to Generation Z. So these, this is anyone who's born after 1995. And the reason I wanted to figure out a technology that would um, talk to them or relate to them is they are the first generation born after the internet. They will never know a world without the internet. But um, <laughs> yes. they are also on the cusp of a huge sea change. Because the internet has come along, we're no longer the industrial era. We're now the knowledge workers. Yes. And that is going to really play into what we think of as work and therefore how society is organized. It's going to ripple through how education, how we look at education. So I knew that I had a number of really big topics to put on the radar of this particular generation. And they are a transition generation. What is true for them will not be true for the generation after because someone will have figured things out. But it's also not true as to what our generation had to go through because we, right. we were working to a set of rules that somebody else had decided for us. So this is literally a generation of explorers. And so I came to the podcasting class thinking, okay, can I use sound as a way of, of getting on the radar of this group? Um, I'm also looking at Instagram, looking at a whole bunch of other tools. So yes, I was here to explore a technology and I found myself in the world of, of uh, podcasting. So I called my podcast Tilt the Future, which is also the name of my organization. Um, it's because I completely believe that each of us has the ability to make small changes that can pivot us towards a better future. We'll never be able to forecast what it is, but we each have within ourselves the ability to respond in a way that improves our future. Hmm. So that's a little bit of a long intro, but... Um, no, that, I think that's good. It, it shows... Uh, like I love the word futurist. I think that's a great description for what you're doing. Like 
trying to, um, I think it is uh, Saul Alinsky, who I can't pull the exact quote, but made a comment about, I don't know if it's from the um, the book that he's famous for writing, who's, which title escapes me, uh, Rules for Radicals, I think it is. Um, he made a quote about, he takes the future exactly, sorry, takes the present exactly as it is, not as he wants it to be. And, and that in no way depowers the value of his vision or like how much energy you, you should put into things when you're trying to affect change. So I think your, your point of view, your perspective of looking towards the future um, is really inspiring and that's um, energizing for people who brush mm -hmm. up against that. Um, did it become a, I, I just love hearing people's stories. Like, did it become a struggle to like stick it out through the podcasting workshop? Like, you know, you get the lesson seven or eight and you're just like, oh no, there's so much I want to do beyond <laughs> this. And then it's like, do you just, do you just like run away to the next thing and, and work on the book or, or. Uh, no, I, um, I got halfway through, I got stuck on who my audience is. Uh, you will soon <laughs> discover that there is a part to this that, that uh, will make its way into the conversation about the book. Um, because I, I know what I know about the future, which is nothing to be honest. Right. It's, it's each of us has, radical honesty. I yeah, love it. it. It's, you know, but I know what I want for the future and I know mm. uh, my sister called me a prophetess, which, you know, really grated on me the first time I heard it. But then I thought, ah, oh, yes, I understand that. I understand the fact that people will hate me because they don't understand what I'm saying. So mm. I have to be comfortable with the fact that I bring truths or visions to people that they will get to see. So I've started, I did this, in, like I started on this kick in 2015, way mm. before COVID. So everything that COVID has made um, visible is something that I envisioned because I just saw the way the dominoes were stacked up. So I'm not saying that I'm a brilliant in any way, and I'm definitely not a forecaster. So I don't predict the future. I just envision a couple of different ways it can go. And, um, you know, and half the time I'm wrong, which is what I love yeah. about what I do. <laughs> I love the fact that I can imagine things in the future and I can, uh, and I can willingly be wrong. That, um, you know, even with my own children, they've proven to me that I can imagine what I think their next five years should be like. And then they just completely blow it away. You know, like, like they go down a different path. I go, that makes no sense. And then they turn around and show me something that was like 10 times better. So that is what I like about being a futurist. Futurist is someone who imagines, but also imagines the negative, um, you know, uh, scenarios and tries to figure out, even in that negative scenario, how would I survive? How would I recover from that? What can I take that is good from that situation and make better? So that's what I like about futurism. It's, um, it's I think, more a mindset than a, than a career. Um, but anyway, so coming back to the whole idea of, of audience, as you can tell from you know my conversation, I actually ended up in this in this particular field because at the time I was writing about the future of money. And 2014, 2013, 2014 is when Bitcoin came about, right. when um, Apple Watch was literally launching. The whole concept of being able to tap to pay was something that was at its beginnings. Yep. And I was writing about all these things. And as an extension of that, I began to see that the technology was going to drive how the workplace was going to change. And at the same time, I had my kids at my dinner table and we were debating, okay, what class are you going to take and, you know, and, 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 you know, as an immigrant mother 
as a middle class person, you know, my instinct was stick with the with the stuff that has proven with itself, known, right? right? It's like go be a doctor, go be a you know a lawyer, go be you know um, an engineer. Just even go to college. Go to college, exactly. Standard, you know, this is your path to success, and that part now was coming slap bang up against what I was discovering for myself. So I realized that the future that I thought as a parent who grew up as somebody else's child, I was parenting as I was parented, not mm. as my intellect was telling me I should parent. And so that's when I started having deeper conversations with my kids, exposing them to these, these probab probabilities of what might happen. And it just rippled. It started, started with my kids, you know, rippled through to their friends. And then I realized that I needed to be talking to parents because regardless of where the kids were, they were very attuned to what technology was going to do for them. Like these are kids who've grown up with Xboxes and, right. you know, Nintendos right. and digital natives. Exactly. I call them. I'm, an, I'm an import. I can yeah. kind of do with my thumbs, but I'm slow. <laughs> they are so instinctive about it, you know. And uh, but I realized that especially at that age group that my kids were at is the parents who are holding purse strings into the higher education. And many of them were, uh, I'll, I'll use the phrase sabotaging, what a 14-year-old's in, you know, instincts were. Now, every parent wants to protect and they want the best for their child, but that doesn't- Certain instincts we do want to suppress. Absolutely. Do not run across the street. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but when someone says, no, you can't go to school for doing, you know- uh, game design. Well, you know, right. the past five years has proven that not to be the wisest yes. advice that we could have given our kid. So that's where I come in. I come in to be that interrupt in the conversation with parents to say, you know, take a step back. Is the future exactly the way it was when you were their age? I'm telling you it isn't. And therefore, mm. what Therefore, can you hand to your child that positions them to be able to take advantage of a future that is very uncertain? even more uncertain now with climate change and still position them for prosperity, for happiness, all the things that a parent brings a child into the world for. So mm. that's where I am. Um, and, and it was that tussle between like, you know, how do you speak to Generation Z and how do you speak to the parent that, the that parents are two me. different, yeah. different audiences. Have you found any, uh, I was going to say, have you found a mastermind group or have you found anyone else that not necessarily on the same journey as you, but, you know, do you, it sounds like when you started discovering that being a futurist and being super interested in the future, tilting the future, when you figured out that that was the path you wanted to go on. That sounds very alone, very solo. That can be good. That can be bad. But have you found other people and that that you find yourself talking to where they like get everything that you're saying? And and if you have found those people, where have you found them? Um, I I actually tend to be almost right now a party of one in terms of talking to the parents. Uh, there are more and more, as I imagined, you know, when I came out in 2015, I came out, she says, um, when I started this work in 2015, <laughs> um, most of my work was talking about what the technologies were that uh, that inhibited the world of the future of work. And then as I expanded, um, I began to focus primarily on what are the transition skills you need to be able to make it from this generation to the future generations? Mm. What, what skill does my child need to make it to the age of 100 is really the way I position it. Um, and in that, everyone has caught up in terms of being able to talk to students, being able to talk to educators, uh, being able to talk to 
um, the employers. So those tended to be people that I was focusing on before. But till now, there are very few, if anyone that I do know, I don't think there is anyone else that I know of who speaks to the parents. Mm. And, you know, once again, it's a, it's a community of people who are, the people that I speak to are highly intelligent and very often bringing AI and robotics and algorithms and that they totally understand what the technologies are required for their workspace. Many of them are C-level um, parents themselves. Yet when they come home, they parent as they were parented. And so, like I said, mm. all I am is that conversation, that five minute, that five second interrupt in their thought process that says, wait a second, you just told me in this cocktail conversation that this is what you're doing at the board level for your organization. This and is now your vision, right? You're coming home and you're tutoring your child in a completely different direction. Are you including a conversation on how as an ophthalmic surgeon, that they should, in, you know, they should also understand how to use a joystick, you know, that right. they should understand gaming, they should understand how robotics is going to play into their skill 15 years from now when they've graduated and they're sitting at the, you know, at the bottom of a patient's bed, managing this entire operation, you know, virtually, <laughs> with, right, virtually. So that is the conversation I want them to have with their kids, not to uh, rain on the parade or instincts of any child or, you know, young adult or any ambitions that they have, but to have them be alert enough that they don't end up having invested all this energy and then come away with not knowing um, that they should have incorporated a little mm -hmm. bit of either disaster control or technology skills in their yeah, training. Sure. So even someone like a musician, if you look at musicians now, it's interesting how jazz musicians are almost like... Yeah, the virtuosity of, of what goes in that work yes and and there are so much in demand for ai development and robotics because we want robots that feel more human that are able to react in the way a jazz musician picks up on a chord so those are skills that they are actually studying so that they can bring that skill into robotics and into ai mm -hmm. so there is a huge melding of these worlds and if if someone coming into higher education is aware of it they're perfectly placed but if they've got their blinkers on, they might end up not being well served. And that's all I'm here for. Hmm. So we, we've been talking a lot about your your vision, like what you're working on, where you're going and who you're trying to reach. And I'm, I'm wondering about mediums. So you're talking about, you know, these two very different audiences, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, the, the Gen uh, Z, sorry, I'm bad. I think I'm Gen, Gen X, Z, Gen yeah. Z, <laughs> Gen Z, and then the parents, yeah. like our generation. Um, and they're very different, obviously very different types of people. And I'm just wondering what your experience or, um, or your advice might be for people trying to reach either one of those generations, like does audio seem to work better for one versus the other? Are there differences in maybe the amount, like, you know, duration, mm -hmm. like five minutes versus 50 minutes in different mediums? And just because you've got a unique perspective here, I think having actually intentionally tried to contact two very different generations. Yeah. Um, where I've landed is, uh, you know, going into the podcasting conversation. Um, I started off in, in the podcasting class doing everything, what everybody else does, which is doing the interviews and processing them. Um, what I very quickly gravitated towards was, A, I have zero skills when it comes to reading sound waves. Um, I read music and music <laughs> has a different way of looking than the sound yeah. waves. So sound waves, I've got to keep reminding myself, this is volume, this is not pitch. Um, so it, it, it 
wrecks havoc on my brain. Um, but that's learning. That's good. Um, where I ended up was doing a lot more host on mic events because I felt like I was more in control of getting those out on time. So that was my, um, that's where I was going with this was trying not to publish whenever I had the opportunity, but trying to keep up with a rhythm. And so for those, I found that I had host on mic was a better solution for me. And with that, I also started doing shorter host on mic episodes. I imagined that my typical audience would either be um, someone who's like 20, 25, you know, commuting into work, this is pre-COVID, or a parent who's sitting, you know, in the lineup to pick up kids from school or yeah, sitting waiting by the side. for something. Exactly. Right? And so, um, you know, there are a lot of really good interviews out there, but honestly, I very rarely make them through a single, through a whole episode, right? Because I, life gets in my way. So I, I, I um, focused my podcast on my sister's myself as an audience. So something that is like bite-sized, five minutes, eight minutes. I think um, the interviews tend to be a little bit longer. And the few interviews that I have included, I've got the pushback saying, okay, that was way too long. What, what was the Coles Notes version of that? <laughs> when, when people expect one thing and you deliver another, yeah. you'll find out, right? <laughs> and so I, I did try it. So there's a series that I have in my podcast, um, which was interviewing Generation Z people, who, uh, kids who are very focused on technology. So that's a great um, leadership uh, segment that I incorporated as a series. Um, the other thing that is a passion for me, and it's actually, you know, as a futurist, it's like, you know, once everyone else catches up with me, I'm no longer a futurist, I'm a currentist. So my next futurism focus is really cl uh, climate change, which it has been for a couple of years now. And now, of course, you know, everything's catching up. So I tend to talk at the intersection of climate change and future of work, how these two things um, impacting this particular generation, but also how do we create hope in this environment? How do we take those messages and turn them away from doom and gloom? How do mm -hmm. I create a positive environment for, you know, a child who's going to live to the age of 100? I want right. them and, to be, you know, motivated. And how do they do something to make a tip? Like that's, yes. that's the yes. whole, how do you get them there? next thing? Yeah. What's the first thing that I can actually do? Yeah. And so that's actually how I ended up writing the book. Um, same kind of thing. I joined a group that said, you know, right between the solstices. And this time around, I went in with no intention of doing anything work-based. So um, uh, as happens about 17 years ago now, um, we moved from the US to Canada and we did it a long way around instead of just taking a seven hour trip straight north. We actually went around the world for nine months. We had three young children with us. They were four, six, and eight years old at the time. We did 16 countries. Um, and my husband said, you know, I've always asked you to write about that trip. And I'm like, I blogged it. You know, what more do you need? <laughs> anyway, so I started off <laughs> writing about the trip. And halfway through that class, um, people kept saying, you know, this, this is not just for your family. You know, we're getting so much joy and so much value out of this. And someone made a really insightful comment. They're like, can't you, like I said, this is very private. This is, and I hadn't up until recently talked right. about my trip as something public, mainly because I thought people would think that it was, um, that I was, you know, incredibly rich and I did this, but we didn't, we did it on a budget. We did it very frugally. Um, we, it was predominantly a friends and family trip um, that we went and stayed with people around the world. And we had very distinct motivations for doing it. Um, 
And I, but I didn't want that to color. I didn't want that to be the first thing someone knew about me and say, oh, yeah, that, mm. that rich broad, you know, she yeah, doesn't pigeonhole. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what someone said to me is, don't you understand how that trip is indicative of the kind of person you are and what you're trying to put out in the world for Generation Z? This whole idea of being flexible, of making decisions on the fly. Right. Of don't being, be afraid. Take exactly. Taking, taking risk. And when I repositioned my conversation, this was right in the middle of COVID, obviously. So um, that conversation happened around October. And I was also coming off having done a class on decision skills. So a lot of what I talk about when I talk about uh, future of work is the value of EQ skills. That is something that we as parents have within our portfolio to be able to pass on to our kids. IQ skills are going to be date stamped. You know, the, the value of the, the, what they are changes so rapidly that if I tell my child, um, you know, a particular formula, for instance, there's a chance that 15 years from now, someone has come up with something better. But if I'm teaching them phonetics, if I'm teaching them the alphabet, those core skills, that is, in essence, what an EQ skill is for us going forward. It's how do we cope with an ever-evolving future? And so I talk a lot about EQ skills. I'd been looking at the decision skills. I'd done a class. And so this book was, I took um, the 12 decision skills, the components of how you make a decision, which none of us think about because we do it so rote. It's so automatic. Mm -hmm. um, and I started breaking, pairing them with trip with uh, little scenarios from my trip. Right. The lad, the anecdotes are a particular thing that exactly. eliminates I, like, oh, look, here's the this thing. This is the time this happened. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, a great one is one where I talk about the elements. It's called halted, which is hungry, angry, late, um, <laughs> you know, distracted. <laughs> right. And, and it's, you know, and I, and I talked about how when you're traveling with three young children, if you don't bear these things in mind, you can have a, a fantastic plan, but you're going to derail it because you didn't look after something as basic as making sure they had enough sleep, right? right. So, so trying to show people how the, the, these decision theories might sound very mechanical, but they really play into how you can cope with life more um, effectively. So... That's what ended up. I ended up writing that book. Um, it is now published. It's called Contours of Courageous Parenting, which now I'm beginning to own the fact that I'm in this parenting space. Um, mm. I resisted for yeah. a long time. I'm not <laughs> a parent. in that space. Yeah, right? I'm not a parent coach. Um, you know, I always felt like, okay, to be a parent coach, you had to have like a PhD in, in psychology or be an educator. I'm not, none of those. Mm. But... Um, but I do coach parents as to how they can help their young people have a very positive view on the future. And I talk about the skills they can, you know, that they as parents can pass along to do that. So that's, that is the book. <laughs> yeah. The second book. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for sharing. Um, I'm going to say a glimpse into your journey and, thank and you. providing um, a very unique perspective on what futurism is and, and what like the way that someone who is, I was going to say hell bent on changing the world, but like that's a way to actually get there by finding people and showing them how to tip the future, how to tilt the future. So thanks for taking the time today, Karina. It was a pleasure, pleasure to get a chance to sit down and chat. Thanks. Well, thank you. Take care. <laughs>